Yeah, so as Jenny said, for anyone who doesn't know me, my name's uh, Owen, I'm married to Catherine, um, and uh, I'm on staff here. I do uh, media bits and pieces, and it's a really uh, great privilege to be here this morning to open God's Word and to close our series on two Thessalonians. Um, so uh, if you've missed anything over the last sort of five weeks, we've been going through, or maybe you're new here this morning, we've been going through the book of two Thessalonians and the letter to the church in Thessalonica. We looked at one Thessalonians before Christmas, and now we're just finishing two Thessalonians. If you've missed any of those sermons, they are all available on our website, so please uh, feel free to catch up on any that you think you might have missed. Um, they were really great. We had some really awesome uh, times of just opening the Word of God and hearing what uh, God has for us. And yeah, please, I hope, I hope you've been blessed. I know I've been blessed by many of the things that have been said. So we're going to close uh, 2 Thessalonians today by looking at 2 Thessalonians 3, 13 to 18. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to there, it will be on the screen as well. Um, but sometimes it's nice just to have it in front of you in a physical copy. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the, peace, the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So this, these verses come on the back of Paul uh, bringing a warning against idleness, those who are idle within the Thessalonian church, and Anna preached on that last week. I'm going to talk a little bit about the verses on 13 to uh, 15 mainly, but I just want to start off at the end of the benediction and then come back sort of to the main commands he gives to the rest of the church. Um, just those verses in 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. You may remember Rob, when he started off to Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1, was telling us that there were reasons why Paul was writing this letter to the, Corinthian, uh, the Thessalonian church. Sorry, uh, He writes this letter because there's confusion. False teaching seems to be creeping in, and possibly a false letter was written to the church in Thessalonica pretending to be from Paul. And Paul doesn't want any confusion of identity he doesn't want people to be able to put words to his name that he doesn't say, or on the other side, discount these words and say, oh, that's not really Paul, that must be another fake letter. This is a sign that what he says is from him, and he is who he says he is. That he is the Apostle Paul, and that the spiritual weight that comes with it uh, is true. The words of Paul would have been so important to this church. You know, it was a church of new believers coming together who he had planted, he had seen raised, leaders who had been invested in, and then Paul would have written encouragements to this church. They would have waited upon Paul's letters and Paul's words to them. And these words, these ones that have been, remained within the canon of Scripture, are so important to us today. This is Paul's identification document, as it were. This is him showing his credentials, his spiritual passport, as it were. I had a, a problem with my passport, actually, while I was away. 
um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got to the gate and to come back to the UK. So we'd done a week in, in, in Kenya and, you know, it gets to that point, you're at the gate and you're like, oh, I just want to get on that plane. I just want to get home. Just want to see Catherine. Please, Lord, can it be simple? We get to the gate and they do multiple checks. And to get to the gate, they check your boarding pass and your passport. And the woman looked at the, my passport and the boarding pass and she looked at me. She looked at the boarding pass and she looked at me and I'm thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong with this thing? And she goes... Oh, Owen, what happened? <laughs> Looking at my picture! Then, nail in the coffin, you looked so handsome. Oh, dagger to the heart from this Kenyan woman. Only met her five seconds. Then, put insult to injury, she looks at size parcel and goes, this man has not changed in the last 10 years, and he loved that, I'll tell you. Well, Paul's identification is a little bit better than mine um, and is accepted um, by the Thessalonian church and by us. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. As I said last week, uh, Anna spoke uh, to us through Paul's commands to the idol in the Thessalonian church, uh, an extension to idleness that can live in our hearts. Um, and if you missed that one, I really would really recommend you have a listen to it. It was really good. Um, but Paul concludes by extending his commands to the whole of the community, focusing on two main areas that we're going to look at today. One, do not let yourself become weary in doing good. And two, do not compromise on holy living in the body of Christ. And we're going to start, obviously, with the second one and then work backwards, because that makes sense. First, do not compromise on holy living. Verse 14 and 15 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Paul has spent the last three chapters speaking into some really key areas where the church is struggling. But Paul knows that there will be some there who will ignore his warnings and may even purposefully teach the opposite. So he says, when this is the, if this is the case, the Thessalonian church needs to be vigilant when they hear wrong doctrine. And I'm saying the same to us today. We need to be vigilant not to let sin, unrepentance, and bad doctrine stop us in God's mission. As I'll say in a minute, though, what that looks like in the kingdom of God is holiness and grace combined. It is a life of holiness and steadfastness, steadfastness to God's commands and also of grace. Grace is not the opposite of holiness. I don't know if you've got a wrong view of grace this morning. Sometimes we, we talk about that tension between grace and legalism, and it can, we can fall into a, a bad uh, view in our mind that it's actually a, a tension between grace and holiness, that holiness and doing what God has told you, actually sometimes, you know, there's a weird tension there. That's not true. Grace and the grace that we have been given and shown in Jesus should empower us to holiness. It should push us to even greater levels of holiness. So Paul says, those who do not obey what's written in this letter, and actually just a little aside, I think it's really, I love it, he says we, what we says, say in this letter. 
We don't know who he's specifically sort of bringing into that, but it signifies that this isn't just Paul's thoughts. This is emphasizing that the thoughts in the letter is, is part of a wider group. Paul is part of an apostolic team that is writing to the church in Thessalonica. Yeah, it's just pretty cool. But let's remind ourselves, what has Paul written about? So if Paul says, those who do not obey what is written in the letter, what has Paul written about? Well, firstly, we heard uh, Rob spoke to us. Paul spoke about Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. He speaks about the second coming of Jesus. What possible opposition stands to this? Well, possibly those who deny the second coming of Jesus or maybe the judgment of Christ at the end. Possibly people who preach universalism that no matter what you do, all will be in heaven. Sai then spoke about two, um, 1 Thessalonians 2. Do not be deceived by the man of lawlessness that is coming. What's the possible opposition to this? Maybe those who are getting caught in internal struggles, maybe fighting in the church, or small areas of doctrine instead of focusing on the big picture, or those who have been led astray by bad doctrine. Let's not be those who are deceived by the man of lawlessness. Let's be people who are biblically based. It's one of our values as a church, uh, one of our cultural points. We are a Bible-based people. Rob reminded us of catechisms on the first week that he spoke. Those are questions and answers of faith. Someone saying, you know, what's the purpose of life? It's the Westminster Catechism starts with this one. What's the purpose of life? And the first answer is to glorify God and to worship him forever. It's all based on scripture. We need to trust solid teachers, but weigh content. And we need to be careful that we don't take in bad teaching and we don't allow bad things to sit in our hearts, even sometimes when it sounds nice. Sarah did a great job of saying that actually the other week. Sometimes during the times that are really difficult, that's when we allow ourselves to be open to hearing the wrong things, maybe because we want to hear those things, or you know, maybe it's some, you feel like the, the enemy is just repeating lies in your head. One of our calls as a people is to be fully based on the Bible, fully grounded on what God has for us. We have a lot of content here at Christchurch as well. I think that's something I just wanted to draw attention to as well, that um, we create a lot of content of biblical-based um, things, whether that's teaching points, focus videos, podcasts, all those different things. Um, if you want, yeah, I would recommend, it's a bit difficult because I make it, but we get a lot of guys and, and men and women in this church coming in bringing good, solid teaching. Ground yourself on those things. Don't let yourself be deceived by other things. He then talks about standing firm in the gospel of grace. Don't give yourself to legalism or hyper-grace or cheap grace. And finally, don't be idle. Don't be someone who doesn't contribute to society or to the growth of the church. Paul says in all those areas, if you see any of those things, then you're to call it out in that person. And what does that look like? Well, Paul knows there will be some within the Thessalonian church who will ignore that and continue teaching what's opposed to his letter. And he instructs the community to take note of them and have nothing to do with them. There are almost levels of what 
people should do in terms of when they come across, if you come across sort of ungodly principles or people living in sin in your lives in the church, there are sort of different levels that you take. And the first one is what Paul seems to suggest for those who aren't maybe in specific sin is cultural pressure of a godly culture so that they will repent. Anna said last week, bad company corrupts good morals. Well, Paul seems to also say that good company can correct bad morals. So if we as a culture, as a community, live good, holy, godly lives, things that are not good and holy and godly will rise to the surface. Who? The Bible notes say in my Bible, this is for stubborn and insubordinate believers. So don't worry, this isn't you. If you're like, I'm trying to live the best life that I can, and sometimes I muck up, I'm really sorry, Owen, should I just leave? This isn't for you. This isn't for you. This is for people who time and time again say, I don't care that this isn't godly or good in my life. I'm going to keep doing it. That's what this is. Or for people who know that it is what they're teaching is not biblical and continue doing it. And then how? Jesus gives us a perfect teaching in how to approach a believer who is in sin. Matthew 18, 15 to 17 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That doesn't mean you go and gossip to other people around about other people's sin. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That's bringing it to the leadership of the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So what Paul says about they have to go. Grace-filled values should lead to a culture of conviction, repentance, and where needed, discipline. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too tempted. You too be tempted. Paul says when you're Bringing correction, if you're going to someone and you're pointing out sin that is in their lives, which, you know, will naturally happen as we live in relationship with each other and we disciple each other, because I don't know about you, I still sin and I still struggle with sin and I need people to say, hey, Owen, that's not good what you're doing there. That's not right. You could have done that better. But be gentle when you bring correction. Be known as someone who is spiritual when I say spiritual, I don't mean over-spiritual in like an ooky-spooky way. But someone who is known to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Someone who is loving, who is joyful, who is peaceful, etc. Because if you are known as that, when you go to bring correction, it will naturally come across in a loving, joyful way. But there's also a demand on us as believers to be approachable for correction. We can never be people who are afraid to be approached with hurts. It's the role of the correcting believer to be loving and gracious, but it's also the role of the corrected believer to be loving and gracious. Are you known to be teachable? 
Or when someone points out a problem with you, do you immediately go on the defense? Here's a good test. If you always have a reason to explain why you acted in that way in that time, and you're ready with it when someone comes to point it out, you probably, you probably have something to look at there. Don't be defensive. Be ready for people to speak into your lives. Don't be someone that someone thinks is untouchable, because none of us are untouchable in the kingdom of God. But if this does not work and people leave, we must hand that over to God, and practically, we must hand that over to the elders and trust that those previous points have been taken, that someone has gone to them graciously and loving, that someone has gone again with witnesses, it's been passed to the church, and then that's been handled correctly. We have a really great eldership who are so patient, so patient. Honestly, as someone who has received their patience time and time again, I can say it. We can trust that they will have taken people through that process of seeking reconciliation way before someone ends up at the point where they leave this church. But one of the key roles of the elders is to protect the flock from those who look to lead them astray. So trust them if they say, you know, actually, what Jesus says about your life is X. You seem to be living Y at the moment. What Paul says in his letter is X. You don't seem to be obeying that. Trust them if they say, maybe this thing isn't good for you or healthy for you. Maybe it's a relationship or an obsession of doctrine or an opinion or something sinful in your life. Paul says, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that may be ashamed. Don't be someone for whom that's the case. And that happens through spending time in the word of God, deep introspection, living a life by, amongst other godly believers. Are you someone who looks for discipleship? Are you someone who looks to have people speak into your life? Or do you think you're above that? If you think you're above that, maybe there's an issue there. Let's be people who obey the commands of God in our lives. So, let's not compromise in holy living. And let's not grow weary of doing good. That's my second point. Do not grow weary of doing good. Verse 13 says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Paul is purposefully using similar language to when he's speaking to busybodies or idlers. Do not be idle. Do not grow weary. And what is doing good? Well, good is those things that come from God and are commanded by him. And because of the gospel, which I think I was going to unpack the gospel in sort of specifics, but actually, you know what? I think Rob and Tom did such an amazing job of unpacking the gospel just before I came up that I don't think I need to. But because of that incredible, incredible truth of the gospel, we are seen to be spotless and blameless because of what Jesus has done and because he is spotless and blameless. And because of that, we have good works to do. Do not become idle in what God has called you to do. And you may say, oh, well, I don't know what God's called me to do. I don't, I, had, I don't have a calling, as it were. Well, you do. We all have a calling. 
We're all called to holy living and to action. We're called to the gospel, to spreading the gospel and defending the true gospel. So when we see things creep in and people say to us, oh, actually, I was talking to someone the other day and they said that they're a Christian and what I need to do is I need to uh, give all of my money to them and go and live in that commune and then I will be fine. Yeah, as Tom said, sounds legit, doesn't it? (laughs) Or when someone comes to you and says, actually, someone's come to me and told me that there's no way that Jesus loves me. There's no way that God would love me because I've done X, Y, or Z. The church doesn't want me. At that point, we're there to defend the true gospel and tell people, no, that's not true. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So yes, you know, to a certain extent, you're not getting to heaven on your own. But through Jesus, we all can be known as children of God. We can all be spotless and pure because of what Jesus has done. Don't let anything, anything, get in the way of you grasping the truth of the gospel and the grace that God has given you. Secondly, what are we called to? We're called to care for the poor, the alien, the widow, and the orphan. Doing good works. James makes it very clear. You know, you can be the most holy person. You can lift your hands the highest on a Sunday. You can have the best words. But you know what? If you don't care about the downtrodden, if you don't care about the widow and the orphan, I'm sorry, but the fruit of God is not in your life. It's not being shown. If you're someone who enjoys smashing down other people or maybe feeling a bit superior, or dare I say it, leaving nasty little comments on Facebook groups, maybe there are some areas that God is, needs to, is trying to poke you at. We're called to do good works, to care for those, to defend those who have no one else. Something I love about this church is we have a, a leadership who are investing money in supporting those who have no voice, whether in Hailsham or abroad. Something I've always loved about this church. And thirdly, what is good? Living a holy life in the grace of the gospel. Living in the grace of what God has given you. Knowing that you are free to live a life that is clean and pure and holy because of what Jesus has done for you. Those are the three things we're called to do as Christians. To spread the good news, to do good works, and to live in the grace of God in our lives. Practically, what does that look like for us at Christchurch? What does that look like for me tomorrow as I go into my job, into my family life? What does that look like? I once heard a really great, um, it's, a, it's a rugby analogy, so I'm very sorry if you have heard this before. But there's uh, a rugby coach called Warren Gatland, and uh, he was with Wales for a number of years, and then he moved on, he's come back. I'll be honest, he's not doing as well this time as he did last time. We'll move on, it's fine. But one thing he said is, be the best at the things that require the least skill. 
So in the, on the rugby pitch, things like getting up when you've been tackled, being the first to a line out, things like that. The things that don't require the, you know, not everyone can do really fancy skilly bits, but we can all do the bits that require sort of the least effort. And I've really taken that to home in my, in my, in my life, that actually I don't need to be the person who does the most skilled things. Like, I'm not the most skillful communicator. I'm not the most skillful in X, Y, and Z. But you know what? If I can help that person, if I'm walking across, talking to someone in the street, and they say, like, oh, you know, what was happening at the weekend? I can go, oh, actually, well, I was at church on, on Sunday. And that's just a little nugget that's just gone in there. Or they say, you know, what's, what's going on in your life? And say, actually, I was... Um, really struck by what God did in this, in this situation. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. But be the best at doing the things that require the least skill, just the little things in our lives. Praying, getting into the scriptures, spending time hearing God. Not saying be better at hearing God. I'm saying spend time hearing God. If you're putting the time in, God will speak to you. If you're not putting the time in, it doesn't matter how good you are at listening. Worship. Are you committing time in your life for worship? Or are you like, oh, I've done my sung worship on a Sunday. I'm now done. Encouragement. Do you take every opportunity to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ when you see them do good things or you see God do amazing things? Do you just put a little bit of encouragement in there? Serving. Do you put time aside in your busy schedule to serve the local church? Giving. Do you give of what God has given you, of what he owns already and has given to you in your salary and your wage? This is the, these are the basic areas of the Christian life, lived out day by day in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. This is what we're called to as a church. And maybe I've read some of those and you go, actually, you know what? I, I really notice I've grown weary in prayer. I used to be really, really pushed for prayer. And actually, I really don't anymore. Or maybe worship. Maybe, you know, you used to punch your hands in the air and you used to be so passionate in worship. And now you're like, actually, you know what? It takes me, I really struggle in worship. Like, I just don't feel like I can do it anymore. Or maybe giving. Maybe that's an area where you're like, actually, you know what? I've let that slide. I don't give to the church where I need to in my time or my finances. And you know what? You may have great reasons for all of those. There may be real reasons. Like you might be struggling financially. You might be struggling in time. You might be going, oh, I haven't got time for my family, let alone the church. It's really difficult. I also know that there are people in this room who have lived their lives walking in faith and actually in times where they had nothing they gave and in times where they had no time, they gave time. I'm only 26. I'm not here to tell you, oh, I can show you in my life exactly how I've done it. But we live in a community of believers where I can see people out here who I know through their lives, have always given, have always given time, have always been dedicated, always been to prayer meetings, and somehow they've managed it. And I want to use those guys as role models in my life. And I'd really encourage you guys to do the same. Come alongside godly men and women who you know 
commit to prayer, commit to giving, commit to being there, serving, because that culture will rub off on you. Let's not be people who don't obey Paul's letter. Let's not be people who grow weary and idle in doing the things that we get to do because we're part of the church. I hope this doesn't come across as a a condemnation message this morning. I really hope it doesn't. But if you're thinking that something I've said has poked you, maybe take it as a conviction. (laughs) God has got wonderful things for this church. He's got incredible things for us to do, each one of us. There are people in your lives who need to hear the good news that Jesus has saved you and he has radically changed your life. There are people in your offices, there are people in your families who need to know the saving grace of Jesus in their lives. And we get to show that to them. Let's not stop. Let's not grow weary. Let's keep going on what God has for us. Let's keep pushing forward for that well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to pray. We're going to close. Can I have to ask the worship team to come up? Heavenly Father, thank you that we come before you this morning with nothing but our empty hands. And Lord, we ask you to grab hold of our hands and fill us afresh. For some of us, we come to you weary today. And we realize that actually there are areas of our lives that are not reflecting the glory of your son Jesus and the life he's won for us. For some of us, we're just weary. We're just tired. Holy Spirit, I just ask, come and fall. Come and fill afresh. Come and restore. Let us be known as a people in unity and strength who love you and who long to just speak of your name. Lord, thank you, it's not me, but you through me. Amen.